What would you think if you heard that Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, you know Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, that old rock and roll group from way back, they're in their 70s now, and they're still rocking and rolling in a very uh, radical way, I suppose you would say. But what have you heard? that Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones had decided to give up rock and roll music. They're not going to be rock and rollers anymore. They're going to be a, make a country and western band. Can you imagine that kind of a change? That total reversal, that sort of drastic alteration? That would be hard to imagine, wouldn't it? Or what if you heard that our famous Tennessee quarterback, Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, he's retired from football now, but he still has lots of connections with football, but he puts out an announcement this week. He's not going to have anything at all to do with football anymore. Instead, he's going to become a French chef. Wow, I, I couldn't even imagine that, could you? Or what if you heard that that famous atheist, now she's been dead for some time, Madeline Murray O'Hare, she's the one that was responsible for having school taken out, or, excuse me, prayer taken out of the schools. What if you heard that Madeline Murray O'Hare before her death, had actually become a Christian. Wouldn't that be a shocking thing? All of those kind of changes that we've just been describing, those, those kind of changes, those drastic changes don't happen. At least they don't happen very often. But for a few moments this morning, we want to talk about a case of a man who did make just such a total, drastic, complete change. It was shocking, and it was total. We want to talk about Saul of Tarsus. And we want to talk about the conversion of Saul. And if you will, just think with me about how Paul described himself. Prior to his conversion to Christ, he said in 1 Timothy 1, verse 13, that he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Those were his own words. That's, of course, he was speaking by inspiration. But that's how he described himself. And so we know that something really amazing happened because he made a full 180 and instead of being a ringleader of the ones who were persecuting Christianity, Paul himself became uh, one of the most effective proclaimers of the truth about Jesus that ever lived. He made that total reversal. He made a complete change. Turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9 and just read a few verses there to get us underway in our discussion. In the verses that Ethan read for us just a few moments ago in chapter 9, well, actually, back up to chapter 8 for a minute. In chapter 8, we know that just prior to this, at the end of chapter 7, Stephen had been, had been martyred for the cause of Christ. We sometimes refer to Stephen as the first Christian martyr. And Saul of Tarsus, that we know later as the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus was there when Stephen was stoned and may have, in fact, been in charge of the proceedings when Stephen was stoned. But that wasn't the end. That was really just the beginning because as we get into chapter 9, ch chapter 8, verse 3, Saul made havoc the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. And he wasn't content just to do that in Jerusalem. When we get to chapter 9, verse 1, Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And so Saul of Tarsus wasn't con uh, content to just persecute Christians in the city of Jerusalem. He wanted to go to other cities. Damascus was some good distance away. He wanted to go to places like that and hunt down Christians. 
He was adamant to try to destroy this new religion of Christ. And that's what he was intent on doing. But we know that as he was on his way, the Lord appeared to him. And in Acts 9, verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Saul of Tarsus saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and after the encounter, he was left blinded. But we know that just a few days later, skipping down to verse 17, a man named Ananias came to him. Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. That last verse is the verse that depicts this complete reversal on the part of Saul of Tarsus. He had gone to Damascus to persecute Christians, to hunt them down, to bring them bound back to Jerusalem. But instead, he ended up preaching Jesus in the city of Damascus, and then, of course, devoted the rest of his life to that endeavor. And so we want to talk about this conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And just sort of to make a play on words, we're going to title our lesson, What a Blind Man Saw. Well, someone immediately objects, a blind man can't see anything, of course. And we know that's true physically. But we're using the word what he saw here to mean what he realized. What did he come to recognize? What truth did he perceive? What did Saul see as a, as a result of being blinded on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him? This is a simple lesson. It's one of those cases of conversion that we read about in the book of Acts, but they are so fundamental to us because what Saul did in order to be saved and what others in the book of Acts, we have many, many, many conversions recorded in the book of Acts, and, and in those cases we learn what we must do if we want to be saved and have heaven as our eternal home. So studying these cases of conversion, although very basic and simple, are so essential for us. We want to do that for just a few minutes this morning, but before we get further into this discussion, we stop just to add words of welcome to those that were already expressed. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We're especially glad for our visitors. We're glad that you've come our way. We always look forward to these times that we can be together worshiping God. We pray that He is glorified. Uh, Matt mentioned that in his prayer earlier. That's certainly our primary objective, to glorify our Father in heaven. But we want to be encouraged, edified, built up as well. We hope we will accomplish that. We thank you for being here this morning. We are especially grateful for our visitors. We hope you come back every time you have a chance to be with us. What were some of the things that Paul or Saul, I'll be using those names interchangeably, I know as we go through the lesson, what did Saul of Tarsus see during that time that he was blinded? Well, we know that he realized something that he had not realized before. 
We realize, he realized that he was a sinner. Now, maybe that seems like a simple thing for us to state, but it was really a big revelation to Saul of Tarsus that he was a sinner, that he needed to change, that there was anything wrong in his life. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, Paul wrote about his former life before he became a Christian. He says in Philippians 3, beginning verse 5, "...circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law." Notice, he said that he was blameless. Paul identified himself as a blameless individual. He didn't do anything wrong. He hadn't done anything wrong. He didn't see himself as a sinner, you see. And so, when the Lord appeared to him and he realized how wrong he was, this was a, this was a stunning revelation to him, to realize that he was a sinner. After that, he would write in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, notice, of whom I am chief. That's what he would say about him. I am the chief of sinners. That's that change that we're talking about. And so Saul of Tarsus realized something he had never realized before, that he was a sinner. Now, for those of us who are here this morning, my guess is that we don't see ourselves uh, in that way, that we don't see ourselves as a sinner in need of salvation. But we are. We are sinners. We need salvation. And the very first element of salvation is realizing that you're lost, that you're a sinner, that you need to be saved. I did this the other day as I was thinking along these lines. I, I tried to figure out how many sins do I have? Uh, what's the case with me? Well, sometimes we say we, we know that we all sin every day. I'm, I'm not sure about that. I'm not even arguing that. But it, it, if I just took on the assumption that I, I've committed one sin every day since I reached the age of accountability, if that were the case, I've got over 20,000 sins that need to be addressed in my life. And so I think all of us, I'm not such a bad sinner. I'm certainly not a Saul of Tarsus kind of sinner. I'll tell you, we're sinners. We're, we're desperately lost sinners in need of salvation, and we have got to see ourselves that way. And so what he realized, we have to realize, that we're sinners needing salvation. Saul of Tarsus also realized that traditional religion was not good enough he had actually been a really, really very religious guy before his conversion. It's not like that he was out here just some horrible, immoral, terrible, despicable character. That, that's not the case. He had actually been a very religious individual. In Galatians chapter 1, beginning verse 13, he said, "...ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. He said, I was really into that. I was very involved. In fact, I was more involved and more devoted to this than most of my peers were. He was around a lot of other Jews. He, he ran in the high circles of the Jews, as we'll see here in a minute. But he said, I, I was more devoted than they were. I was more into it than they were. He was a very religious guy. In fact, there's an interesting statement in Acts 26, verse 10. In Acts 26, Paul is sort of defending himself before Roman governors, and he's describing his life. 
he, and, he's, and again, he's talking about how it was before he became a Christian. He says, Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, and having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, notice he said, I cast my vote against them. He had a vote. When, when these Christians were being put to death, he said he had a vote in the matter. And based upon that, lots of commentators have speculated that Paul perhaps, and maybe even likely, was a member of that Sanhedrin council, that high council of the Jews, that 70-member council in Jerusalem. Uh, that may or may not be the case. I think there's probably a strong reason to think it's probably true. But at the very least, what we're saying here is that Saul of Tarsus was really a deeply religious guy. But he was all wrong. Religious, but dead wrong. You see that? To all of the people in the, in the world today who think that one religion is as good as another, anything goes religiously, just, be, just because if you just have a sincere heart and you're very devoted, one thing is as good as another, then they would have to accept that Saul of Tarsus was all right in his present condition. He was all right right where he was. If one religion is as good as another, but Saul realized that's not good enough. Saul also realized that sincerity is not a safe guide. This is a very popular idea, as you know, and many people think that this is the acid test, that as long as you have great sincerity, it's all that matters. Now, they, they believe that about religion, but they don't, re they don't really believe that about anything else. For instance, what about medicine? There's this doctor I know, and i got to tell you, he's just as nice a guy as you'd ever want to meet. He's just really a fine person. I really think he, he really wants people's best, he has people's best interest at heart. But i got to tell you, he, he misses a lot of diagnosis. In fact, he misses more diagnosis. He gets more wrong than he gets right. But he's so sincere about it. We're going to give him a pass because he's sincere? He's wrong. He's wrong a lot. He's wrong more than he's right. But he sure is sincere about it. You okay with a doctor like that? No way. <laughs> no way. I, I don't care how sincere he is. If he's my doctor, I want him to be right. For that matter, I'd say the same thing about a car mechanic. I, I don't want some guy working on my car just because he's a nice, sincere guy. If he's working on my car, I want to make sure he knows what he's doing and he's getting it right. Sincerity, even in a car mechanic, is not enough. But for some people... For lots of people, actually, the idea that if you're sincere, that's really all that matters religiously. And to that we would say no. And Saul of Tarsus realized that. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, when Paul was defending himself again, he said in Acts 23, 1, earnestly beholding the council, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Paul said his conscience was clear. It had always been clear. And I believe that he's indicating there that even back during that time when he was persecuting Christians, he, he had a good conscience in the matter. In fact, in chapter 26, verse 9, he said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I was doing it because I thought it was what I was supposed to be doing. He was sincere in that. And certainly we realize that his sincerity was not enough. I tell you, Along with sincerity, we could mention zeal, because Paul talks about his zeal. We don't use the word zeal a lot, except in 
in relationship to religious things, but probably our equivalent word is enthusiasm. He was enthusiastic. He, he was very involved. He was sincere. And he was incredibly enthusiastic about the religion that he was involved in. Go back to the verse that we read earlier from Galatians chapter 1. And we won't take time to read that again. But notice Paul identifies himself here as being exceedingly zealous. He was exceedingly zealous of the traditions of the fathers. And so he was very excited about that. Very enthusiastic. You know, when we think about religious activity today and people who get involved in religion, I think it's always a good thing to see someone who's enthusiastic. But would that enthusiasm be enough? There's a lot of enthusiastic religious people in the world. I, I suppose if you could talk about the Islamic terrorists in our world today, in regard to their religion, they are exceedingly zealous. Certainly, that is not the right test. Paul would write later about his fellow Jews who had not yet come to believe in Jesus. In Romans 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Notice those words, as we've pointed out so many times before. Clearly, Paul's saying he wants them to be saved, indicating they were not yet saved. But he says they have a great zeal for God. Zeal, while important and necessary, can be misguided. Zeal certainly is not enough. So think about Saul of Tarsus. We know his story well. And think about the things that we know about him that he, he actually came to realize or he saw these realities on the road to Damascus. He was a sinner needing salvation. His former religion wasn't good enough. His sincerity and zeal didn't cover for the things he was doing that were wrong. Saul of Tarsus came to realize on the road to Damascus that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ pretty convinced that a lot of people don't understand the meaning of that, Jesus Christ. And maybe even a lot of people think that that's his first and last name. First name Jesus, last name Christ. We know that's not the case. The Christ literally suggests the anointed or chosen one. Jesus was the anointed or chosen one. He was the one chosen by God to be the Savior of the world. He was the anointed. He was the Christ. Paul didn't believe that. Saul of Tarsus did not believe that as he was heading to Damascus to persecute Christians. But on the way, he became convinced of that. In Acts chapter 9, at verse 6, he, he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He called Jesus Lord. Now, he had he'd called him Lord in the previous verse, but he didn't know who he was talking to. Jesus identifies himself and now Saul of Tarsus calls him Lord again. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So I want to suggest to you that at that juncture, Saul of Tarsus had, had become one who believed in Jesus. Didn't believe that before, but now believed that Jesus was the one. That Jesus was the anointed, the Christ. He came to believe that. And then afterwards, he became a powerful proclaimer of that truth. In Acts chapter 17, verse 2, when, when Paul was later in the city of Thessalonica preaching, notice it says, according as 
uh, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbath days reasoned with them from Scripture. Notice, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And so that's what he came to believe. And he devoted himself to proclaiming that. But he did not believe that before. And so this was a stunning revelation to him. He had not believed it. He had actually been trying to destroy people who did believe it. Now he himself comes to accept that reality. Just as a little bit of a side note here, we might point out, if you could convince Saul of Tarsus about Jesus, that's powerful evidence for us. The fact that a man like Saul of Tarsus could be convinced by the evidence provides evidence for our faith. Do you see that? He certainly came to believe in Jesus. He's a believer. On the road to Damascus, he's a believer. Now, as we said, and as we read earlier, he was struck dead after that episode on the road. He was led by the hand into uh, Damascus, uh, and he devoted himself to praying. As, as a result of what had happened to him, he was in Damascus fasting and praying. But he found out that that's not how you're saved. You're not saved by believing and praying and get the point, we've got him a believer here, and we've got him praying here. Uh, and a lot of our religious friends say, that's how you get saved. You believe in the Lord Jesus, and you pray. In fact, they often refer to it as the sinner's prayer, don't they? Believe in Jesus, and pray the sinner's prayer. Well, I want you to observe what we've got with Saul of Tarsus. He believed on the road, he called Jesus Lord, and now he's busy praying when we go back to Acts 9, at verse 10, there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in. Okay, now, follow with me now. See it here? He's a believer. He's praying. What do, what do a lot of our religious friends say you've got to do to be saved? Believe and say the sinner's prayer, right? And that will save you. Now, that's not in the Bible. That's sim that, that plan is simply not in the Scriptures. But here we see a case of a fellow who was doing exactly that. He believed, and he, in fact, he'd been fasting and praying for three days. But notice, when Ananias came to him, we have this account later, Paul retelling the story in chapter 22, verse 16. Ananias said, Now why tearest thou? Arise and be baptized, notice, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. A man who believed and been praying for three days. When Ananias got there, he said, You're still in your sins. You need to be baptized and wash away your sins. And so from that, I think very clearly, Saul realized, and we have to realize, that is not the way that one is saved. The way one is saved is by virtue of real obedience. Obedience is necessary. Paul believed, but he had to act upon that faith. And he had to respond to what we sometimes refer to as the plan of salvation. He had to do the things necessary in order to have his sins forgiven. I want to take you back to Acts 9 again to those verses we read earlier about what Jesus told Saul of Tarsus to do. Saul fell to the earth, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. 
And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it will be told thee what thou must do. You see that? There's some things you have to do. There are some necessary things you must accomplish. There are things you must do. We understand as we study throughout the Scriptures that that simple plan is upon belief, we must repent of our sins. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We have to confess our faith in Jesus. Romans 10, verse 10, With the heart man believeth in, unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You have to be baptized for the remission of sins. We already looked at Acts 22, 16. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That obedience is absolutely necessary. Saul of Tarsus came to realize that that was so. And without it, he was still in his sins. And so here are some important things that we learn from this simple case of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. It's such a basic thing. It's almost amazing that people could misunderstand some of the things that are so clearly spelled out in his story. But of course, lots of folks do, and that's really sad. But the case of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus is an important one for us to learn from. I'd like to make one final observation about his case, and that is that Saul of Tarsus realized that there's really no disgrace in changing. Think about Saul for a minute. As we said earlier, he was highly connected in the Jews' religion, may have even been a member of that Sanhedrin council in Jerusalem. Now he's faced with the reality that Jesus is the Christ. And, he's, and now he must obey. But before he obeys, he has this thought passed through his mind. If, if, I, if I change, if I obey Christ, if I change my life, I'm going to be saying that everything I've done in my life up until now was wrong and a waste. I don't know about that. I don't know if I can admit that. I don't know if I can admit that I was wrong about all that I've been doing before. And furthermore, he had to realize that he was going to be saying not only had he been wrong, but that all of his close friends back in Jerusalem were still wrong. They were wrong. And they were rejecting the Lord's Messiah. If I say that, if I make this change, I'll be admitting I was wrong and that everybody near and dear to me is wrong in their religion. Now sometimes that's a real hindrance to people. But Saul realized there's no disgrace in changing when you realize the truth. And in fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so there was no disgrace for him to change or for us when we realize the truth. There's lots to learn from Saul of Tarsus. His conversion... What a man saw while he was blind. His conversion is a lesson for us as well. What's your situation this morning? Are you right with God? Have you obeyed that simple plan that we described just a moment ago? If you've never done that, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. There's no more important decision you will ever make in your whole life. If you're not a Christian this morning, will you become one? If you're a Christian already but you've fallen back and not been faithful to the Lord, will you come back in repentance, confession, and prayer? If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.